Welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. With your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. And today we are discussing, well, not Six Feet Under, but rather the 1991 comedy drama film, My Girl. Uh, that's right. As a, a thank you to anyone who's been listening so far and as a promotion push for season two of Digging Six Feet Under, I wanted to toss out a bonus episode of sorts. Uh, the podcast is ad-free and I won't be doing any Patreon or pandering or anything like that. But what I will be asking of you is to please promote the podcast on my behalf. You know, post this episode, tweet it out, uh, tag me on social media, wherever you post, you know, to get the word out about the podcast. Uh, you know, if, if you've been listening, you know, and if, if you're interested in funeral service or anything related, and if you enjoy the show Six Feet Under and enjoy me and my guest viewpoint on the show, you know, please get the word out for me uh, for that. Uh, I had mentioned in my intro podcast, I started this because I love podcasts, and now I'm at the point where I love podcasting. And this is purely a hobby of mine. And I wanted to leave some, you know, digital imprint on the podcasting world and to reach as many people as possible. So I ask you, please, in exchange for this bonus episode, to promote the podcast for me on my behalf. And, you know, a, a thank you in advance for doing so. Uh, so to move on today's episode we are going to be doing the 1991 movie my girl uh, i wanted to go outside of the six feet under lens that i'm under and you know branch out into movies for fun and you know to challenge myself but i couldn't stray too far away in terms of the topics that six feet under brings to us and after thinking about a few movies i figured my girl would be a perfect movie to do so and with that, I have a guest with me here today, back by popular demand from episode seven. We have Natalie Willis. Hello, Natalie. Hey, Victor. Natalie, when I had brought this idea to you, I forget who, but one of us had mentioned My Girl. And, you know, this movie is always brought up to me when I tell people what I do. It's kind of the first thing they always say, oh, just like that movie, My Girl. And I had never actually seen it. But you instantly told me, you know, it was a favorite movie of yours and furthermore that you were going to sob the entire episode. <laughs> and I did. So, well, no, I sobbed the entire movie. As soon as somebody says, have you ever seen My Girl? I just break down into tears. So I'm going to try to hold it together tonight for this podcast. Do you get that a lot when you people tell you what you do and do, do they bring up My Girl? Because I always get six feet under. Yeah. And... My girl's always like second to that. Do you get that a lot? No, I, I not really. No, I get I get six feet under though for sure, one hundred percent. So let's let's you know, <laughs> and just through talking to you during the week and whatnot, we're gonna try and keep the sobbing you know to a minimum, <laughs> at least at least to a particular point, right? I do have my tissues handy. Are you crying already? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't stop. This movie just does it every time. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's great. So, okay, let me, um, well, let's start here. There's, you know, I, I find this so silly for a podcast that, that say this beforehand, but I don't want to be the one sour one out of the batch, but you know, there's going to be major spoilers from here on out. We're going to be talking about the entire movie. So if you haven't seen my girl, go watch it, then come back. Cause we're going to be discussing every single thing that happened in it. But 
Uh, this movie was released November 27, 1991. It was directed by Howard Zeef, written by Lawrence Ellenway, and stars Anna Chomsky, Macaulay Culkin, Dan Aykroyd, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Just as we go about the movie, there was a commentary by the writer, Lawrence Ellenway, and I had listened to it, and, you know, just to get some different perspectives on, you know, what the writer wanted to say when she was, you know, writing the script or whatnot, so I'll be chiming in with that when appropriate. My Girl, the the original movie title was actually supposed to be titled Born Jaundiced, uh, and she didn't really go any further about that. Do you have any idea what, what they meant by that? Well, born, she but, said it in the movie that she... Didn't she say in the she, movie she was born with a little bit of jaundice? It's like the first thing that comes. It's like the I think it, I literally think it's the first word she says. Uh-huh. But I don't like what is what is that? You could be born jaundiced. Yeah, that's a thing. Our, yeah, babies babies are born jaundice. I mean, not I mean, every single baby, but I no, no, so I've course. heard. Yeah. Okay. And but I think it's I think it's something that happens, but it goes away immediately. I mean, we'll have to definitely check the facts. I I don't know. Uh, one, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. And, you know, despite the town in the movie, it's set in Madison, Pennsylvania, and Madison is actually completely made up. That's not a real town. It's actually shot in Sanford, Florida, about yeah. 20 miles north of Orlando. And that yeah. was a very enthu- enthusiastic. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> because for six months of my life, I lived in Sanford, Florida, right uh, one block away from um, where they do, you know, where their town is and those streets and mm-hmm. so forth. So it's a pretty, Sanford, Florida has pretty parts to it. And that's, that's, that's considered downtown Sanford. And it, it just has that old school feel. It's very pretty. You know, there's only one scene in which there you see a palm tree. It's yeah. towards the end of the movie, and it's—I it's, think it's the part when they're riding their bikes. But you can see a palm tree in the background. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only part that it's—you would be able even to tell it was Florida, not Pennsylvania. <laughs> and the Sultan Fuss funeral parlor is actually a bed and breakfast. And I think as of 2013, it's actually just a house now. It's nothing. Uh-huh. I don't think it ever was a funeral home to begin with. There is a um, there is a funeral home in downtown Sanford, a couple blocks away from where they shot this movie, and everybody thinks it's the one that uh, was filmed. It's that's not so funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not. Uh, the inspiration or, or the background of the writer's starting point was that she had grown up in a small town like this in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania, and she had a friend, just like our main character Veda, who lived in you know the town funeral home. And she had asked her friend at the time how she deals with, you know, coming home to dead bodies, essentially. And the girl had responded that we are doing a religious service to the living. And I just, that was a nice, that kind of like traveled with her, you know, her entire life. Uh, To start off, the movie takes place in 1972, despite it being released in 1991. Now, I mean, there's a lot of different things, you know, that's changed in, what are we talking now, 40 years Um you know, the biggest change besides, you know, the music and the feel of it and I, me as a funeral director, I picked up on it is that it was called a funeral parlor. Mm-hmm. That term isn't really heard anymore. Am I right? Yeah, I, I've heard it. I've seen it a little bit up north and a little down south, but that's it. Yeah. Very old school. Yeah. I, I feel like I haven't heard that term from anyone under 50. <laughs> you know, that's such like an older person term. It's a nice term, though. It's pretty... I, I like it. Funeral parlor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. Hello, yeah. I work at a funeral parlor. 
And so the film is set in Sultan Fuss Funeral Parlor with Harry Sultan Fuss playing being played by Dan Aykroyd, who is the funeral director and owner of the funeral parlor, and his daughter Veda, 11 years old. And we first meet Veda and Harry's relationship as Veda runs down the stairs to the embalming room, and Harry is embalming his high school teacher. And <laughs> Natalie, as, as a funeral director here, can you recall what they were doing or what step they were at in the embalming process? Uh, well, they had two, there's two of them embalming his right. woodshop teacher, right? That mm-hmm. was his woodshop teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it looked to me like they were just injecting um, the the carotid. That's it. The right well, no, carotid. He was, Harry was on the left side and he had the arm extended. Oh. The, the way the way I, yeah, the way I took it, because I, it didn't hit me the first time I watched it. I went back and it looked like if I had to guess, uh-huh. They were shooting the left axillary. Interesting. I'll look for that next time. That's very right. observant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just figured because I, I always heard it was a funeral home and there's a lot of funeral stuff in there. And uh-huh. then when you watch the movie, it's not as much as you originally think. Yeah. And so just, but the fir- it's the first scene right after, you know, she does her little thing. And yeah, so I was like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. Because, you know, usually movies, they'll do nothing. There's a scene in Six Feet Under where uh, David and Michael C. Hall is... He literally just has a sponge and the body's embalmed already. He's just doing, and all he's doing is like wetting the thigh. And it's like, what are you doing? You're literally not doing anything. You're just making a body wet. So I just wanted to see how, you know, true to that. That's really funny. (laughs) And we see, (laughs) so we see here that Veda sees that the cause of death from Harry's high school teacher uh, just hanging on the wall and it was prostate cancer. It's fair to say we both could agree that Veda is a hypochondriac. Right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Poor girl. Yes, she is. And this is why you identify with her so much? <laughs> no, wait. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's part of the reason. Just part right. of the reason. You know, it, it, she being that she's so young, she can't understand why people die. And she's terrified Yes. The idea of dying. Yes. And it's just such an adorable, and I'll probably be saying that a bunch of times over this episode, that it's it's adorable how she constantly goes to the doctor, you know, to get checked on, you know, make sure she's not dying. <laughs> For you know, prostate she, cancer. <laughs> yeah. And it's just the idea of going there oh. just because she doesn't know any better, you know. You know what? That, just like a uh-huh. sidebar to that, I wondered... Mm-hmm. I, I know it's probably like going way too much into it, but I wonder, did the doctor ever pick up the phone and call Harry and be like, yo... Have you had had a conversation with your daughter about I, death? <laughs> I am. Oh, no, that's that's fine. Let's let's take it out there because I imagine it's something like they like the first few times the doctor had called Harry, and then Harry like has neglected her so much to the point where it was just completely okay and completely acceptable. Uh huh. And it was just part of it, you know, yeah. just that like something weird, like just a, a, a glitch in there where she just always comes and he's always there. And no, you don't have prostate cancer, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just part of it. But isn't that sweet, though? I mean, that is the poor guy is like trying to help her through life. And I, right, I think right. I think it's a sweet thing that he's doing for her. But I've just always wondered, you know, because my parents would be like, hey, Natalie, what is it that we're doing here? You know, it just seems well, like I mean, Harry doesn't even know. And and the thing is, it's like that's 1970, right? Where you, right. you just the little girl can just walk in there with let's just assume no health insurance or oh, with yeah. the card she's not carrying with her, and, and just like she didn't have to pay a deductible. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> and we meet Shelley, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, who shows up in a camper. 
when we had talked about this movie uh, earlier in the week, the <laughs> idea of this camper is so <laughs> awesome. If I could give up where I live, I don't own a house, but if I could give up my apartment and just live, I don't, I don't know what the costs are. I imagine <laughs> it's you know a, a maintenance fee, whatnot, right? Yeah. I would totally live in this camp. <laughs> no? No! What? Have so you ever awesome. lived in a studio apartment? It's like the same. You can't move. How are you going to move? But, but here, hold on, hold on. You literally could move anywhere. Like You just <laughs> you just can't move with inside the camper. No! Hey, you're tacking on like an extra 40 minutes of sleep. Just, you know, if you just park at work. <laughs> yeah, no, you have fun with that. I actually hope, I hope you do do this, Victor. I hope you get to live <laughs> this fantasy that you have of owning a camper. Let me know when uh, you're going to be out of your apartment because that's a nice uh, apartment. <laughs> And, you know, Shelly, as we see through the movie, uh, she's basically such a contrast to the Sultan family, you know, she's kind of, as we see later on in the movie, she's living on the run and she's, (laughs) she's so full of life, whereas the rest of them aren't, you know, and Mm -hmm. just living the camp trailer, just living it day by day. And, you know, as opposed to small town, I'm assuming they haven't really traveled much and, you know, they literally live in a funeral home. (laughs) And she's basically just a perfect catalyst to sort of shake up mm-hmm. this rather morbid family. She shows up because there's a job opening and it's a cosmetologist. And obviously she doesn't find out it's for a funeral home until she meets with Harry. And let me ask you this because I've, I've come across it in my career and all the funeral homes I've, walked, I've worked for. Do funeral homes hire people who are strictly licensed cosmetologists? I have not experienced it. I have, I got, really? neither, neither have I, neither have I. I mean, the whole, don't we spend time in mortuary college learning cosmetics and the colors right, and so forth? Right. I don't, I think, I tell you what, I get a, a gazillion phone calls a year from makeup artists that want to come in and, and do that, which, you oh, know, of course. I mean, I, they just don't know that we handle that. I have not seen a licensed cosmetologist as far as cosmetic goes, but I have seen funeral homes that have a hairstylist come in. Well, that's what I was going to say is yeah. I've seen hairstylists for sure. I've yeah. worked with hairstylists and they'll sometimes help me with the cosmetics, but their role is strictly hair uh-huh. and then, you know, the cosmetic kind of c- comes after just l- lending like a helping hand, but nothing like this where she's, and she, to be fair, she does answer phones too. So she, it's not like she's just does cosmetics and she just sits there the rest of the day. But yeah, I, I just, I've... And I've, and yeah, like you said, working in a funeral home, you get a bunch of calls throughout the year of just, hey, I'm a makeup artist. I think this would be cool. And I mean, there's really not a market for it, right? There's no, I, I don't know. Right? I, I don't think so. I mean, I see, I have never heard of a funeral home that has a licensed makeup artist on staff. I mean, that's, you know, our, the cosmetics that we do versus the cosmetics that you do in life is, in my opinion, a little bit different, you know. Right, right. Of course, um, of course. I don't, I mean, I, I have a blend of, um, you know, like I have MAC cosmetics, I have, you know, uh, CoverGirl, and then I have Mortuary Kelco cosmetics, you know, and yeah. I just, uh, and there's a whole, there's a reason behind that. There's a theory behind it. It goes through training. I mean, I remember, I don't know if you did this in Mortuary School, but they showed videos of, you know, when somebody was red and how you put the green over and then you put the foundation. I mean, we, we trained for this. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't know. I, I just never seen. That. I mean, I think it's I think it's sweet when they call. It's just because they don't know, and so I just you know kindly let them know that you know we handle all of our cosmetics, uh, yeah, in yeah. in house. But yeah, I've never seen a co- just a true makeup artist in a funeral home. 
if there are any funeral directors that are listening to the podcast and they do have just a full-time licensed cosmetologist or maybe not even full-time right it's probably more of a trade thing but if you have someone who comes in and does the cosmetics please let me know because of of the funeral homes i have worked for in my short 10-year career i've never really heard of it but i imagine it probably still exists somewhere just I i'm sure it does it, i'm right? sure it does yes we meet thomas J, who's veda's best friend uh played by macaulay Culkin, and you know something interesting from the writer is that Thomas J was originally supposed to be an older brother of Veda who comes home from college and, you know, eventually takes over the business. But, uh, you know, after she wrote a few pages, she knew she had to do a young love story of sorts. And, you know, in that original script with the older brother, uh, Grandma, or rather <laughs> Grand Moo, <laughs> was originally supposed to be the one who dies. But to Veda in writing, you know, was already dead to Veda, so... To lose her would not have been a big of a hit as, you know, spoiler, and the last time I'll say that is Thomas J does. And, you know, you can't have a story that, how do I say this? Overall arcing is that the grandmother dying, who's basically <laughs> catatonic the entire movie, wouldn't affect Veda as much as Thomas J, right? Like, that's the right move to make, you would say. Well, I'm just going to queue up my tissues right now because you said his oh, name. Thomas J. <laughs> uh, no, man. I mean, love Grandma. I think it was brilliant how they wrote it to where, you know, obviously she has Alzheimer's or dementia or something. So mm -hmm. she is faded out, but she still has a presence. I definitely think that the Th Thomas J passing is, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thomas J. And, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another one of our characters we meet is Mr. Bixler, and Mr. Bixler is a teacher at her school, and he also runs a creative writing class. And another thing here from the uh, the writer, Lawrence Ellenway, is that, you know, Mr. Bixler is basically there to open Veda's idea to the world of feeling and writing. You know, as we see through the movie that she's, you know, largely neglected by Harry, her father, and there's kind of everyone else around her to sort of open her eyes to everything else. And, you know, Mr. Bixler fills that void of, you know, creativity and emotions. And, you know, with the creative writing class, you know, it opens all of that for her and sort of weird. And I don't know if they could still do this in today in 2017 <laughs> that she's he's sort of a love interest for her. But it, it, it's a it's a harmless, meaningless crush, right? Like it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think if you talk to anybody, they've had somebody's had at one point in your life. I would think everybody's had a teacher crush. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah everyone has. You know, everyone it's has. innocent. It, you know, as long as the teachers yeah. don't do anything about it. I mean, it's. I think it's just. I think it's just one of the the things that you do in life. You have a crush on a teacher. Yeah, and I mean, th this this movie is essentially a growing up story for uh -huh. Veda. So, and that that's just part of it, you know, uh -huh. with Mr. Bixler. Mr. Bixler's and, cute. <laughs> <laughs> and another character that we meet is uh, the little girl. I never got her name, but the the ones who come by and sort of tease Veda. Yeah. And, you know, it's a rather quick scene, but it, it sets up Veda's world of that sorts that, you know, she she's not friends with any girls. But, you know, you kind of see that she really wants to be. Yeah, that broke my that that broke my heart for Veda. The girl that was nice to her, her name is Judy. Okay, okay. Yeah, I love her. Um, that was sad. You know, here she is hanging out with Thomas J, and she's being bullied because she's hanging out with Thomas J, and probably also because she works at a funeral home. It's not, I mean, she lives at a funeral home. 
But right. also, when we were growing up, I don't. I was a tomboy, so I had friends that were boys mostly, and girls used to tease me about that. I mean, it's just if you weren't, I don't know. I think it's just a part. I think that's kind of a part of growing up too. You know, what about yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's so funny. Growing up, one of my best friends was a girl. Mm-hmm. I remember. Wow, that's so funny you just said that because I remember being embarrassed about it. <laughs> but me and her would have the great because we'd go play video games and then fucking, you know, throw rocks at each other. And then, <laughs> like, you know. That's a wonderful friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That never even occurred to me while uh-huh. I was watching this. Yeah, um, I think I think it's I mean, they're obviously, you know, messing with her. But I, I think that yeah. also is something that people will go through in their childhood as well. It just made me feel sad for Veda because you could tell that she wanted to hang with the girls. Right, right. And to go back to Shelly for a bit and, you know, trying to to play the episode between funeral director and movie here, but <laughs> we were talking before. Uh, Shelly, as a licensed cosmetologist, <laughs> is absolutely awful, right? Like She's she is horrible. She is a horrible <laughs> cosmetologist. You know, she goes totally rogue and makes up uh, Mrs. Porter that we see <laughs> and the way she sees fit. And I- I- even when she does Aveda's makeup. Oh, right? yes. Like, oh, I cringed. <laughs> the blue eyeshadow. Why well, can I mean, never have enough blue eyeshadow? <laughs> but probably the funniest line. I don't know. There's so many great funny lines from Veda. But one of the funniest ones is that after she looks at herself in the mirror and, you know, looks at her all this blue eyeshadow, she just goes... Well, maybe you should think about Hollywood for a little bit. Veda <laughs> <laughs> has such a great sense of humor. She's so funny. Yeah, no, Shelly. I mean, Shelly's a great. She, you know, when you said it earlier in our in the beginning of the podcast, she was the she's the one that has life. She definitely has life. Uh, yeah. She's definitely bad at cosmetics. She would not be doing uh, the deceased that I work on cosmetics. I will be a no. Yeah. Right. Um, but she's. I mean, I yeah. I bet in seventy two people piled on blue eyeshadow. I bet that was a thing. <laughs> Just not the pastor's wife. <laughs> and, and you know, to, 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 to stick with that for a moment, besides the money aspect, right, I think the biggest criticism we get as funeral directors is how their a family's loved one looks in a casket. Yeah. And makeup, whatever. It, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's objective, but, you know, it, it's funny. If, if you're a funeral director, you could definitely uh understand what i'm saying mm-hmm. to me at least there's sometimes i'm like wow i did not do a good job i tried my best it just didn't i didn't get the result i wanted and the family will come in and say oh my god grandma grandpa has never looked better in my life <laughs> and it's just like wow okay i was really fair but what happens to me too is the opposite where i'm like oh my god this this person could walk out of here they look so great and the family comes in and it's like that's not even my grandmother. That's, that's someone. That's someone I've ever. I, do, you, do you get? Do you, yes. do you get that or no? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes well, if I stand back and I'm like, amazing, I'm brilliant. Nobody yeah. can be as good as me. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, Natalie, <laughs> yeah. this is not going to be good. And then and then I, and if I see it and I'm like, oh my, where I need to go back to school. How did this happen? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you I, are God's gift to cosmetic, Natalie. You are, <laughs> you are a blessing, a genius. Thank you. <laughs> I, I never question myself more in my career than when I think I did a, de- a decent, I'm not going to say a great job. I just think I did a good job. I think the person looks fine. Yeah. And the family, they want to close the cast because they think the person looks so horrible. <laughs> nothing makes me question what I did more because it's like I, I could have sw- how could I be so wrong you know uh-huh uh-huh I tell you though when, as since we are talking about cosmetic and so forth mm-hmm. um I 
I got pulled aside uh, at, a, at a, another funeral home that I worked for that was in a different area than what I live in, where I live mm-hmm. now. And they were like, you know, we just really think that you're really heavy handed with cosmetic and we really need you to tone it down. And it's just, you know, people are complaining and so forth. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking they have on blonde massage cream mm-hmm. and powder. <laughs> no, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. how much. So I and then when I came back to the area that I'm in now, uh, I got pulled aside and they're like, you know, we really think you're not doing enough cosmetic <laughs> and we really need you to apply a little bit more. So I think in the area too, where people are from, there's a difference in how, and how, what they, what they expect, you know? That's a good point. I just really thought that was hilarious where I was, you know, I've, I've never had somebody tell me that I'm doing too much. It it was, it was, it was a, it made me realize different parts of of the country is probably wears the cosmetics differently. I don't know. I don't know. Or what they expect to see. Yeah. 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 The creative writing class and to stick, I guess, with more personal stuff. Have you ever taken a creative writing class like Veda is, where it's just sort of, you know, you're supposed to write from your soul and everything? Have you ever done anything like this? No. No. <laughs> do, you, do you know me? Right, I do, I do. Uh, I think my close, my closest thing to this was the improv yes. class I took for like, you know, yes. so I, was like, I was getting vibes of that. Um, you know, it's definitely a way to expand your creative horizons of sorts uh-huh mm-hmm. but veda like we said earlier is you know yearning to expand her creative horizons and getting all those pent-up feelings of being in the funeral home out uh the original poem she wrote uh the ode to ice cream uh. again this is a it was just a, to me it was adorable uh if I remember, you had a problem with this. I, I know. Now, now, to make me out to be the bad guy because I had a problem with ode to ice cream. You said you hated this. <laughs> yeah. And now you hate ice cream. <laughs> that's, that's great, Victor. Great. Just paint me with a black heart today. Um, because, I, well, it made sense. I mean, what I said was actually very smart of me. Veda, okay. and, and probably in my head only, Veda, um, to me in this movie, while she's a child, she has a very adult-like attitude. She has a she makes adult statements. She has adult thoughts. She has adult comebacks. She's she's adult funny, you know. Yeah. And when she went to that class, not because she wanted well, she wanted to be a writer, but because she has a crush on the teacher, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, when she read a poem about an ode to ice cream, I just thought this is too young for you. This is childlike. You're you're so much better than that. And I just right. I just I didn't like it. You know, it's uh, ice cream, great. I expected what, more from her. But wouldn't you say, though, that she is – she's advanced in a lot of parts, but as advanced as she is in in some aspects of her life, she's also way behind, and the ode to ice cream was sort of that. You know, because she's 11 years old, and she doesn't completely grasp the idea of dying. But I feel like I could have a conversation with her today about politics, you know? Mm-hmm. But – when it comes to like creative writing or just, you know, being able to feel your emotions for lack of a better term, she simply can't. She's, she's, uh, I don't want to say that word, but she, she's digressed there where she's progressed in other aspects of her life. Right. No, yeah. Mean, yeah. You're right. That's, that's actually, that's very well put. Absolutely. And you know, and, and, and you know, we see it because the next class, when she goes back, she's like intrigued, you know, when they're doing the, uh, the soul touching essentially, right. Where they're holding hands. Uh huh. And, you know, you could you get the vibe from her that she's, like, intrigued by how much she has to explore, you know, within herself. It's sort of, like, opened it up a little, you know. Yeah, and then that beautiful scene where she held her she held her grandmother's hand. To try mm-hmm. to, yeah, she so goes pretty. to, like, replicate it, right. That was right. really sweet. That was really sweet, yeah. 
the willow tree in this movie by the lake. Uh, the second time I had watched it, you know, I, I sort of get this. I, I, had, I had said it in Six Feet Under where Los Angeles is almost a character in the show. And this willow tree, I think, is, you know, it, it's almost as important as the funeral home in mm-hmm. this movie. And, you know, it's where a lot of major things happen in Veda's life here. You know, you have where Thomas J. hides the dead fish from Veda. Uh, and, you know, where they run into the water to avoid the bees. Their first kiss. And it's the first place where Veda goes after Thomas J. dies, you know, for some peace. Taking a bit from the commentaries that this tree is actually fake. They totally made this and inserted oh, it Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I would have never known. I would have never guessed it. That's the stuff I always like about commentaries. It's like, yeah, that you know, that was never really there. Whatever. Uh-huh. Would you agree though that the cat would? Because I, 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 I do that with almost everything I watch. I kind of take something in the background, whatever mm-hmm. so the the setting or whatever. Did you see the the willow tree as important? Or? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just I, I I agree with you. I think that willow tree was a lot of things happened at that willow tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also became blood brothers at that. Um, right. That right. Tree. Right. Yeah. Right. And it to me, it probably was her happy place. And it makes yeah. sense that she ran there. Right. Yeah. I forget what country it was, but one country banned. They took out that scene of Blood Brothers because they didn't want to promote. Because um, uh, this was just right after the HIV scare. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They took that scene out because they don't want kids to start doing that. Because, you know, how impressionable if kids watch the movie. Huh. Know? Interesting. <laughs> when <laughs> Shelly and Harry go on their first date. And again, it's just so many adorable things by Veda on you know the relationship that Veda and Thomas J have she goes to his house at night to extract him and sort of shadow her father's state first of all he just sneaked out of his house as an 11 year old presumably at 8 p.m. like this is 70s right like this is definitely 70s definitely 70s (laughs) I live alone and I'm not allowed out of my house past 8 (laughs) I'm a grown man like like, this little kid is that's funny but this date and you know harriet said he hasn't been on a date in such a long time and it shows that with the fact that they go to bingo um (laughs) but you know having thought about it it, it's it's sort of a cute date idea right well it is or no uh, but you're missing you're missing one of the great parts before the date happened was okay obviously when shelly was seducing harry you know while he was writing an obituary which (laughs) can we just can we comment on that for just a minute i don't know about you i know this is gonna sound so lame you know when he goes yes i i wrote that when she was reading he goes i wrote that (laughs) i one time placed an obituary in the new york times and i think i called 15 people and i was like i'm publishing it i'm published in the new york times yes that's right i wrote that so definitely identified with that because you know who gets to do that anyways um but when they're upstairs and his older brother catches him in the mirror yeah. dressing and then goes and gives him uh, uh what's that called a noogie is that what it's called you do a on nu- your head yeah nuggies, nuggies. Nuggie. Uh, uh i just thought it was so cute where they stood in the mirror together and he said you look like a sultan fuss it was beautiful <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was a beautiful yeah. scene too the whole movie is about relationships more than anything and yeah every scene there's just two people connecting even mm. his brother his brother's a, a, a b character to the film <laughs> and just a moment like that is really so nice didn't they just match up the characters nicely too, though? I mean, they—it seems like they have such great chemistry off of each other. That was yeah, that you, all throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, the bingo—the bingo, the bingo um, date was very, very cute at the church. <laughs> uh, now let me ask you this, because uh, in my 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 couple of rewatchings of it, 
Harry mentions that the two seats were open on purpose. He has them like sort of for the funeral home, right? It's like a way to pro- get business? Or did I read that wrong? I think you read that. I mean, somebody correct me, but I thought it was him implying because there's two deaths that has occurred. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, I, right? I, I thought right? of it or am as I wrong? like, no, that makes a lot more uh-huh. sense because she says it. Because that he says that these were open on purpose, and that comes when she's sitting there saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to be doing cosmetics on all these people," and he's like, "Well, that's why these." I took, I took it as, yeah, no, you know, he's there just kind of rubbing shoulders with the community, getting his, you know, uh huh, um, that just shows how heartless I am. Okay, You're so <laughs> heartless. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, the first time watching when. Let me say this. I'm going to backtrack a bit. I watched this for the first time with my girlfriend and I laughed more. We laughed more (laughs) than we ever got emotional. Um, I wonder if anyone, I I, I guess it matters what age you had watches. And don't get me wrong. It's it's really sad what happens towards the end. But like this scene when she goes, bingo, I laughed so hard. Because it was also adorable, you know, uh-huh. that, and, and, you know, everyone starts fighting about it. But I, I love that. Uh, that's probably was my favorite moment. Yeah. When you told me you watched that with your girlfriend and you guys laughed the entire time, I just looked at you like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? Because I think I told you before you watched the movie, I said, yeah, I said, Victor, you know, just you're going to need some tissues, you know, perhaps you want to have, you know, some self-help books afterwards. I mean, I, I warned you about it. Yeah. And then you were like, you know, it was a great, funny movie. I, I just, it was, we both had a different, I just remember looking at you perplexed, like, what? Yep. What did you just say? That was a cute scene, though, when she said bingo. That was bingo. very cute. Gosh. When, now, let me ask you this. When they get home from bingo, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this is Harry's first date in however many years. They get home, he parks the car, he gets out, and he makes, you know, a conscious, physical and emotional stand to not open the door for Shelly. But don't you know why? No, that's what I'm asking. You missed that part too. This is when they were up this is when they are upstairs. Oh. And the brother was like, um, this is the seventies. Women he does women don't want you to do things for them anymore. He called it a term. I'm forgetting what, what the name of it was, what he said. Okay. And he told Harry, he said don't open the door for her, you know, like everything that you should do as a gentleman. He said, they don't want that anymore. And remember he said, they don't even wear bras anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause that, it, yeah, that's what, that's where that came from. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause she always like, what, what? <laughs> yeah. It just seems so odd. And I, I, I guess I had, yeah, because her, his brother said, don't, don't open car door, doors for women anymore. They don't like that. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the 4th of July scene where the husband comes back. Uh, well, first, let me ask this here. The family's singing the Star Spangled Banner, our national anthem to the flag. Like, you know, it looks like it's tradition. I'm 30 years old, mostly all of them being in America. I have never in my entire life seen or heard a family in the <laughs> private space of their home doing this. Have you? On, on, on the 4th no. of July. No. <laughs> is this a 70s thing or is this like a small town thing? Is this a patriot I, thing? I don't know. I mean, and they got a tuba. That's what he's playing as a tuba too, right? 
Yeah. yeah. No, I but don't it know. seems like they do that with the two, but they're not. To me, just the way I got the scene is uh-huh. that they do this every 4th of July, sort of like the same way we open presents on Christmas or we all eat turkey on Thanksgiving. It just seems on 4th of July, they do the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. No, uh, I, I can't say. Anthem, I can't say growing up my family ever did that at the 4th of July, unless we were at like <laughs> a, the fireworks event and everybody did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt the ex-husband coming back for Shelly I felt that whole scene was sort of out of context at first, but you know what? Well, first let me say let me say this here: when the ex-husband calls out Veda for her name and how unfortunate she was for having that name, you know, when she's a <laughs> Veda Sultanfuss. <laughs> let me ask you: Did you find any reasoning or, or symbolism behind Veda, her name being Veda? Did no. you pick up on anything? Right. No. Uh-uh. When I had first seen it, I thought Veda was like evade. You know, just like a nice nod to her evading everything. I was just trying to pick up on something. And then yeah. I heard the name Sultan Fuss, and I was like, well, that's that's either the director, that's a friend of the director, right? Uh-huh. Uh, listen to the commentary. The name Veda was just literally someone she went to school with. It has no meaning whatsoever. And the name Sultan Fuss has nothing to do with anything. It's just the name of someone she knew. So there's no meaning whatsoever. And I just think that that's a when there's such a distinct name like Veda... Mm-hmm. You know, there's usually a reason behind it, but no, there's there's none whatsoever. It's such a beautiful name. It's so fitting for this character. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I love really how that is. came to it, it came together and it was not intentional, you know? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. such a pretty name. But to the ex-husband, seeing that, you know, was sort of out of context, uh, you know, after watching it, you know, it was to show that Harry can't stand up for himself. And he's been sort of dormant for so long, you yeah. know, to he needed to show that he still has fight in him. Yeah. He's in him. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked when 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 they're fighting, the ex husband and Shelly, they're fighting over what the, what were they fighting over? The again? motor ho- her motor home. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. Uh, <laughs> I like how Harry first approached him as a funeral director. Yes, he did. You know, he's like, I'm so sorry for your loss, and it's really important at this time, you know, to focus on the good times and everything. And then the guy's not having it, you know, he sort of goes into almost like gangster role, right? Where he's just he just gives this short quick punch out of nowhere <laughs> he punches the guy with the perm <laughs> yeah you know just like danny danny <laughs> that was so funny that whole that whole scene is 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 odd but it did mm-hmm. come together i mean it, i thought it was funny with uh when he pulled up and she was like oh i guess i have to introduce you now right, you know, right. at the barbecue and then the punch mm-hmm. and veda's face it, it was beautiful it was beautiful uh veda's objection to shelly you know, we're at the point in the movie where Veda, Harry and Shelley are, you know, dating seriously, right? And Veda, would you agree that Veda's, you know, largely neglected by her father, right? Like, that's understood? Yes. You know, she already feels distant from her father. Mm-hmm. And Shelley comes along and she feels like it'll just push her, her further away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really exacerbated at the supermarket when, you know, Veda already being ignored and now... Shelly comes along and now the two of them are shopping and Veda's just, you know, very, you know, in a cute way, just throwing cans in the, you know, the... The prunes. Yes. <laughs> just throwing everything in the, in the cart. <laughs> That's what I mean by she's so old because such right, an old right, spirit because right. she's so clever. I mean, she just comes up with that big old can of prunes and says, don't you want these, Dad? You said you needed them. It's so and you funny. Know, and, you know, to your point, where she's old, but she's also so, so young. You know, she shows it more when they're playing bumper cars at the fair. Uh-huh. 
you know, well, yeah. first let me say, I was completely thrown off when they had gotten engaged. Yes. That was so out of nowhere for me. Uh-huh. Again, I went into this movie blind. Like, I did not know anything. I just knew it was a funeral home and I knew sort of what happens to uh, Macaulay Calkins' character, but. I can't tell how much time passed from the day she was hired to the day they played bingo to the day that they, well, we have July 4th to the day they get engaged. And what is it, like two months? I mean, the, the it's mm-hmm. not cold at all. So you, let's just say it's May. Yeah. Right? Just a. You know, that's two months. But, I mean, I guess that's what you have to do in a tight window like a movie. And you have to also remember it is the 70s. You know? Right. It just happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. And But, like I said, when they were going, uh, they go in the bumper cars, <laughs> Vade is just targeting Shelly the entire time. And it takes, it, it, it's funny because it takes her a while, Shelly, to pick up on that. Yeah. At first they're having fun. Then all, <laughs> just the faces Veda makes to her, you know. Yeah. Just, uh, uh, you know, adorable. <laughs> it is adorable. And even like, even at the July 4th thing, Veda was pushing her away when she was trying to play with her hair and braid her hair. And she was pushing Shelly Yeah. She's just like smacking It's like Shelly's just not getting it or she right, is getting right. it, but she's not going to let Veda do this because she loves Veda, you know. <laughs> it's one or the other. When, when Veda runs away after learning her father is now engaged to Shelly. Yeah. And, you know, it's a common ploy to get, you know, your parents' attention. She goes to Thomas J's. Oh. Have Have you ever ran away when you were little? Oh, were you, were you that I, was, person? I was wondering if you were going to ask me this question. And I was wondering, <laughs> I was wondering how personal am I going to get? Yes, yes, I did do that. I did run away. It was actually, I look back on it now. It's funny. I do not recommend running away for any children watching or listening to this podcast. But. There's no children listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, feel no like as a resp- I feel like I have to say that, you know. But um, you know what? If there is children listening to the podcast, run away because I want to see how many children out there are listening. No, don't say so that. Please run away. So, um, I don't know. So, I ran, so, the neighborhood that I grew up in. Um, it had like houses and then in the front of the neighborhood, it had this apartment complex that had, they're surrounded by woods. I ran away. I got so mad at my mom and I ran away and I hid How behind. How old were you? How old were you? I think I was, I think I was 11. Um, okay. I got on my bicycle and, uh, I ran away and I stood behind these bushes and trees cause I didn't want to go deep into the woods because that was just a little too much for me. That was a little frightening. So mm-hmm. I stood by the street and I just remember watching, um, my mom in the heavy Chevy, uh, drive up and down. <laughs> Did doesn't everybody have a heavy Chevy? Am I the only one? Yeah. yeah. Um, I just remember her driving up and down the streets looking for me. It breaks my heart, but <laughs> I did do it. I did run away, but I, I was home by dinner. I mean, because I was not going to yeah, skip a meal. I, I need my hu- meal. Hunger, hunger always wins. Out, hunger right? always I mean, wins. <laughs> I think I ran away. Oh man, however old you are in fifth grade, so probably same age, right? 10, 10, 11. 10 11 Yeah. I ran. Oh boy, I want to about six houses down from where I lived. <laughs> and like I think by the time I had gotten there, my uh-huh. my, my mother had already called that kid's house. <laughs> just like, yeah, like I think I, I imagine the phone call was like, Listen, he's running away to your house. You know, he'll be back before dinner. Yeah. Yes, same like you. <laughs> did you did you leave a letter though? No, no, I just I think I stormed out with like uh my, my, my book bag from school <laughs> with just like some clothes and <laughs> You know, but it was after sc- I, I I probably ran away between the hours of four p.m. and six p.m. You know? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> but when she to get back to the movie, when Veda goes to Thomas J's house, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's so it's so cute, but it's also so sad because you know she's watching Thomas interact with his mother, and 
you know, you see Veda, she just kind of looks at them and she's, you know, longing for this mother yeah. relationship, yeah. you know, and you sort of juxtapose it to the scene where Veda gets her period for the first time. You know, Veda kind of goes from wanting nothing to do with Shelly and sabotaging her to, you know, <laughs> kind of a blink of an eye, absolutely needing her. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of too where that's, you know, Thomas J is definitely a ride or die and he does pass away. <laughs> Oh God, but he definitely is a ride or die for her. I mean, he's circling the same spot, you know, running away mm-hmm. and, and, and poor kid was just hungry and he had to go. But, right. um, I think, um, well, I don't think I, you know, when, when she does, um, begin her menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. um, you know, she becomes, I mean, it's like, it's an, like an instant grown up thing. I mean, I, that happens to us girls, you know, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, I remember, yeah. and Shelly had to give her the talk. I, my, my, my father did that for me and, uh, as uh, so awkward, right, <laughs> you know? right. but, um, yeah, I mean, it just, I just remember afterwards, I was like, I'm a woman. This is crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. and, uh, I think it was so cute where she said, come back in five to seven days, come back in five to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is what a great line. That is a, that's a per, that's probably one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. It's cute. She's now she's a lady. Now she's a woman. Right, right, you know? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are having visitation in the Sultan Fuss funeral home, and Veda comes outside and she sees Harry and Shelley kissing. So this leads her to go ahead and try and kiss Thomas. Uh, an adorable, awkward little scene. You know, just a, a little girl sort of imitating her father. But the kiss afterwards is so well. The moments following the kiss is so awkward. You know, they they, they don't know what to do, so they just stand up and do the pledge of allegiance. What a perfect thing to do to, to make it less awkward. Just to not, you know, you just, you would do the first thing you right, the first uh-huh. thing that comes to your mind, and they just start, you know. Yeah. Uh, but here's where we get the dialogue where Thomas J asks Veda to think of him if she doesn't marry Mister Bixler. Uh. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's let's let, let, let me let me just say one thing too before we get into it. Yeah. Where, what, what's what starts it right is that Thomas goes back to get the mood ring that Veda lost when earlier. Right at the beehive. Right, and kind you know because Thomas wanted to do it the same way that Harry did. Harry gave a ring to Shelley, and <sighs> you know after this, Thomas, I could feel it. Yep. Okay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> and, you know, let me say this. I have to say, I kind of knew what it was. Uh, I think I want to say it's what this film is best known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to rewind for a little bit, uh, they did sort of a, a Chekhov's gun here. Do you know what Chekhov's gun means? No. In film, no. Chekhov's gun is something that if you show a gun in the first act, mm-hmm. the gun has to go off in the third act. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't you can't show that gun and it not fire by the end of the movie. Okay. You know, it's supposed to be uh, foreshadowing of sorts. Mm-hmm. And here they sort of did it with the beehive, mm-hmm. you know, because when I when I first when they first go there, when she first loses the ring, the beehive, you know, they're, they're batting the beehive. And I was like, oh, my God, he does he die this early into the movie? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but we see here it's, it's their first trip and this is where she loses yeah. her ring. Yeah. But it's where we also see that Thomas J has a, a visceral fear for his allergies and just bees in general. Right. Well, it leads up to it because in the beginning of the movie, when Shelly offers some chocolate, he says, I'm allergic. And he right, goes, right, and she right. couldn't believe somebody's allergic. He's like, I'm allergic to everything. Then you have right. the kid's casket that came in to yes, the funeral home yes. member. And Harry said, it's really short, people. 
But why why did that casket? Did he just have to have a child's casket I, on? Stock, I think so. But here's the thing. I think like, so. Like, yeah. they, they, let me let me say they did do it for foreshadowing, of course. But of like, course. The, uh, but like uh, in in what I'm blanking out on the word for 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 uh, real world purposes. Yeah. First of all, a casket does not come. A delivered casket does not go through the front of the funeral. No. Home. No. But did he just have it to have on hand, or was it just simply there as a film ploy to just well, sort of foreshadow? You got to remember, this is the '70s. So, I mean, right. I've I've worked for a funeral home that has was in a business. You know, even before the '70s, they didn't have warehouses like we have now. So they they bought the caskets and put it on the floor and and just kept it there because they might need it. Right, right. But okay. the other thing, too, in the beginning of the movie, when she collects the money to have the friends come in to see a dead body in the casket display right, room, right. Uh-huh. There's, isn't there a wood, a wooden kid's casket, full couch wooden kid's casket in the background? Uh, I don't, I don't recall. I think the there is. I remember uh-huh. when I saw the movie. Now, what I do for you know, from, since I'm in the industry, I remember saying that's not the that's not Thomas J's casket. I would right, find right. it. I would find it weird to have more than one child's casket on my display. My display yeah. floor. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, come on. But uh-huh. um, yeah. So you have that part, and then and then the beehive and the mood ring. Well, l- l- let's start out here, and you know, I sort of went it before that the writer was originally going to have grandma die but she sort of realized that that's not that's not effectively letting veda grow by having her grandmother and you know your first death most people i would assume right is your grandmother dying or your grand a grandparent dying thomas j dying and for this film yeah um basically about my question and i already know the answer but just to just to sort of play devil's advocate do you think it was good or bad for the movie and what i mean is you know thematically speaking you know, the writer killed Thomas J because she wanted to show Veda can overcome her biggest fear. And it gives you or illustrates to you that death is inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not fantasy for you know, an 11 year old to die. It can happen yeah. uh, to not kill someone in this movie of death would be unfulfilling. Yeah. Uh, you know, depending on what age you watch this, the movie could be really revelatory. Yeah. Um, so in at this point uh, where we're at up to the movie. This this sounds awful coming out of my mouth, but they had to kill Thomas J. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you mm-hmm. agree? Rather, I, I to make their point and to make right. Fate, that's yes. what I mean. There right. was there was no other. Yeah, there was no one else. Because I mean, imagine if he didn't right. Like imagine he just went to the hospital and got sick. It would the movie would not be nearly as impactful. And you know, I don't think when I when I bring up my girl to you, you wouldn't start sobbing because it just <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't hold the same weight. Oh, I know. You know? I agree with you. Right. I mean that that right. that he was the character that had to had to pass away. I mean, same thing. I mean, if grandmother if the grandmother would have passed away, Veda still would be Veda. Well, she, regardless, yeah, she was basically dead the entire movie. Anyway. Right. This shook her up and changed her. I mean, right. big time. Right. As well, it should. I mean, right. My God. <laughs> uh, at Thomas J's wake, you oh. know. <laughs> wait, wait, we're missing. We're missing Go beforehand ahead. when the news Go got ahead. broken, when the cop came to the door. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. When the buzzer rings at the funeral parlor mm-hmm. and Harry goes to answer the door. Oh, mm-hmm. there it is. That's when it starts. That is when mm-hmm. it starts. My water mm-hmm. works. I can't turn it off. <laughs> What I and I and I wanted to put myself in Harry's shoes and in Veda's shoes too. How do you tell a child that your their best friend has passed? How do you yeah, do that? Well, and, you know, to that point, 
Harry doesn't talk to her about anything. Nothing. I mean, the girl the girl started her period, her menstrual cycle, and he was not a part of, of that. You know, that's At a all. big right. deal. Somebody else did it for him. And mm-hmm. now he's got to go upstairs, and now he's got to tell her that Thomas J is dead. Right. Ooh, I don't, see, I don't. You can see yeah. it on his face, you know? Yeah, and I don't, I mean... God bless that they you ever have to do that. Oh you know, my God. What's yeah. funny about it is we're sitting here and again, he is the main character. They are the main characters to do that. But I mean, just imagine on the parent side, oh. <laughs> you know, imagine the cop, the cop having to be the one to tell them, you know, um, oh, yeah. but yes, I find that. And it's a good in, I find it good and bad that that's kind of the first real conversation they had because it's, it's kind of well. We might as well let, let, let's talk about the hardest thing I'll ever have to talk to you about. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Like let's just get the worst over with. But it also you know? starts their. It's it starts yeah, their relationship. Yeah. He now is concerned about her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, but when he goes upstairs and he says, "I need to talk to you," and she's uh, feeding her goldfish that she won at the carnival. And just a look on her face when she was like, I told him he was, you know, stupid. Don't do that. Right, and then right. that, that look when she says, is he okay? And the dad can't even respond. Oh, man. See, <laughs> I told you this, too. I really think. I know. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to be so emotionally fried tonight, Victor. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to be a great date tonight, you know. This is great. Um, anyways, I... Uh, I think she did such an excellent job. I was a little surprised that she, I mean, at her age, wasn't nominated for an Oscar. That scene, that look that she makes when she realizes Thomas J is dead and upstairs yeah. in her room was, was, oh my gosh. It was, it was, it was good. It was good. I don't, Gave I, don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how you get a child to act you know, because you have to tell them, hey, fake this emotion. Yes. Like, you know, don't really pretend you're, well, I don't know, whatever they say, but, yeah. you know, you could tell an adult how to do it because, you know, we act all during the day, right? During right. our jobs and everything, but this, this is just a child. She's, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, completely, I think to me, as great as this movie is, completely understated how great of an acting by the two of them. Uh Chomsky and Macaulay Culkin because just yeah it, everything everything, everything. You know? it was good it was good it was that that just that's just that's when her and Harry's relationship began what a terrible way to, to start a relationship mm-hmm. <laughs> to move on to Thomas J's wake you know we had seen that Veda never actually sees dead people in her funeral home she's been shaded from it you know like the first scene of the movie well what you know once the movie starts that she comes down the stairs but she stops at the last step you know she can't even see the dead body mm-hmm when she goes downstairs from her bedroom to the funeral chapel to actually see Thomas and, you know, as funeral directors, you know, it's sort of the mantra we live by that, you know, we encourage you to see your loved one one last time to help with closure and grief and moving on. Uh, you know, so she finally sees Thomas J and <laughs> besides it being absolutely heartbreaking, you know, when she's just screaming out, he needs his glasses. Oh. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is a real positive, despite it being, you know, heart-ranking and heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. It's it's a positive moving forward moment for Vader. Just as it is they start that discussion, her seeing him in the casket. It's reality. Yeah, and it's a, po- it's a as, as horrible as it is, it's a moving forward moment. It's, she took a step there. You know? what, it's just a, such a horrible, just a horrible, mm-hmm. horrible 
thing. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, she was just beginning the grieving process, you mm-hmm. know, and that was just a reality. To speak on, to go back to an embalming or a cosmetics beat for a moment, they, when they show, it's really quick, they show a glimpse of Thomas J in mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. casket, and he's showing all the beast things. Yeah. Like, like there's, I don't know if this was a 70s thing or, or maybe just a movie just to show how visceral it is, but they would have need to cover like that would that would have been covered up, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you could have covered up that that still would have been swollen like that. Um, I've never I don't know. Can you can is there anything that we can do to reduce uh, the swelling of a bee sting? I mean, I, I'm not I don't even know if I was talking about swelling as much as, you oh. know, it looked like he had these large pimples on his face that I'm yeah. assuming were the bee stings. Well, I, don't, I, I just found I, I know from the film standpoint, uh-huh. you know, they had to show it just, right. you know, that this is how how bad it was and everything. But I mean, l- 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 let me start here. Shelly could have certainly not done it. <laughs> She's just a horrible cosmetologist. <laughs> Yeah, hey, I'll tell you what. I'm surprised she didn't put eyeshadow on top of <laughs> Well, she sure did powder him down, though. If you do look at him, he is powdered up. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is I'm bad. Just, I'm just surprised that they didn't, you know, yeah. cover those up. But you know, I, I guess, I guess where you have to be nitpicking while also yeah. you have to show it in the. But in you the, know, like in, in our in our obviously it's movie purposes. Obviously, I'm sure we would have cosmetized. Obviously, we would have had a conversation with the family that, mm-hmm. you know, we cannot treat this, but we can, you know, talk to them about their options because that to me that does not qualify for a closed casket. I don't think, right? No, I mean, no. Everybody knows he passed away because bees stung him. Okay. Yeah. And and this is what happens. But yeah. um, I just uh, yeah I. No, I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, it was definitely for the movies, but today we probably would have cosmetized it and had some com- real conversations right. about it. You know, she goes back to the willow tree, and there's a slight hint that she sort of wants to jump from the tree because she just doesn't know how to deal with all of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she sort of makes a realization when she hears, you know, her father, you know, she's looking at her father's picture, and she hears Thomas J's voice. And, you know, that's where, <laughs> in her young mind, that's where, you know, she sort of decides yeah. to move out. Um, you know, to go back to that conversation, you know, Harry can talk to literally everyone else because he talks to complete strangers about death, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a funeral, someone comes in, my, my whoever just died, and and he could speak to them. But he has this, like we were just talking, like, you know, just a week or a weak spot of, of to Veda. Um and, you know, here, and she mentions it early in the, the film that Veda's biggest fear is that, while well, because well, she can't understand it, is that she sort of killed her mother yeah. and that her father resents her for that. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I don't know if we got any resolution to that, but, but I do, I do know that they start talking about it. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah, um, it's fine. The conversation. I mean, how long has this been hanging over her head? Right, you know? right. I mean, her entire life. Her entire life. Right? She's thought, you know, that she killed her mother. And mm-hmm. um, finally, they're having the conversation that no, Veda, you didn't. It was complications from childbirth. It had nothing to, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. you didn't do this. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, what's funny about that is that, and again, this is strictly a My Girl movie podcast, but. Uh, if you're listening to this, it's because you're also a fan of Six Feet Under. The same dynamic sort of happens in Six Feet Under where 
they don't talk about they don't talk to each other the family doesn't talk to each other but they're so openly and you know just us us here both of us as funeral directors you know we talk to other families about i think the term the worst point of their lives is a little overstated but we're talking to them about pretty emotional stuff mm-hmm. but you know, to talk to your, your family or whatever, it, it just sort of, I guess it's sort of like a biz, uh, an industry thing because in Six Feet Under, it's the same thing. They all have these moments with these families, but between them, they're so sheltered in their, their own feelings, emotions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be an industry thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> and, and, you know, a nice nod to something that I had set up earlier in the film that when Harry and Veda see Mrs. Sennett, uh, Thomas J's mom, mm-hmm. she has the mood ring that Mm -hmm. thomas you know went to go back to get for veda and you know veda complained that the mood ring never worked and it was always black Mm -hmm. but when miss senate finally gives to her it's blue yeah uh it's it's a it's an obvious it's a it's a it's a deserved moment it's an obvious moment that they were going to go back to that but it just it's really well done just to sort of you know to to put a, a sad bow on all of that you know it was that that also was a very heartbreaking scene, especially mm-hmm. when she said, come visit me, Veda, because, you know, Veda lost her friend, but that lady lost her, her yeah, son. Yeah, that's her son. And she, I mean, she lived with him every day and she saw Veda all the time. I mean, she, her whole life has now changed, has now mm-hmm. changed. What it, what an impact. I mean, how, well, I could, I couldn't be her. I couldn't be her walking down the streets. I would be in bed. Just I, I can't believe I, how yeah. strong she is to, to get out of bed and continue on with life. But what uh-huh. an impact that I think that people forget that is the parents of the children, you know? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, course. their lives, it's stopped. It's done. Yeah. Not their yeah. life, but there's certain things that are, mm-hmm. they won't happen anymore. So that broke my and you, heart. And, you know, uh, to speak on the more of the movie industry side of it, uh, this was Macaulay Culkin's first movie after Home Alone. Was it? Yeah, uh-huh. and you know, but because they can't give away, let's just call it the twist of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Or the climax, right? You know, the the. I imagine a lot of people were turned off when they went because they are you're expecting if you see this movie. I don't know what the trailers were like, but I imagine you have, you know, snarky, smart Veda giving her lines. You have Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis. I imagine a lot of kids went to go see this, you, right? Because what I'm saying is, you see Home Alone, and it, you know it happens today. Uh, yeah. I, I can't think of an actor off the top of my head, but you see them in one thing, and you're like, oh my god. And this movie, if if you know they do that thing on YouTube, honest trailers, they're doing an honest trailer about it would be about death the entire uh-huh. right. Um, and did you were say saying, this is released on November 27th? Isn't that Thanksgiving? Is, yeah, doesn't everybody right go? There. Doesn't everybody go to the movies for Thanksgiving? <laughs> what a great way to end your Thanksgiving feast! They were in the commentary. She was saying how they were challenging her on whether or not they should let Thomas J die because you know this is that that's that, that gives him not not him a bad rep, but just like you know he comes out swinging with this Home Alone movie, yeah, and then he's dead in his next film, and you know. You hear Macaulay Culkin in early '90s. You think Home Alone and everything. And uh, what's the other one? Richie Rich, right? And Uncle Buck. Everybody has Uncle forgotten Buck, he was an right, Uncle Buck. Right. <laughs> so you know, it, it's just a funny, funny thing where. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I didn't watch a trailer on it, but I imagine they did not hint at Thomas J dying. Right. So. 
I you hear know. you. I hear. I remember when this movie uh, came out, mm-hmm. and I don't. I can't remember if I went to the movie theaters to saw see it or did my dad get it when it came out on VHS. Right. But yeah. um, I remember just. I rem- I. That's so. That's so spot on what you said because mm-hmm. Macaulay. That was Home Alone. I mean, I definitely went right, to the movie right. theater for that. And then yeah. now Tom, now he's Thomas J in a kid's casket. Whoa. He, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yes, you're that you're right on. And it was at Thanksgiving. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a what a bad movie to release around the holidays. So oh, boy. <laughs> in the uh the final scenes of the movie, we see Veda's grown up a bit. You know, she's not as tomboyish. She's she's in a dress. Better. She's better dressed. She yeah. she looks and she feels a little older. Because I mean, cute. whether or not she actually aged, you know, let's just say this is a few months after, um, she feels older. Yeah. You know, maybe she's not twelve years old yet, but she definitely feels a lot more mature, older. And you know, she even writes something of pretty depth and emotion when right. she goes back to Mister Bixby's class. Uh-huh. Um, to the final scene of the movie. And, you know, the dialogue is just so perfect to her character. You know, she says, things are getting better, but Nixon just got reelected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when I first heard that, I was like, wow, you know, like, that's such a, that's such a, man, I, I don't know the word, a charismatic thing to say. What, what, what the, the writer of the movie was trying to do with that is that, you know, life isn't always 100% okay. Uh-huh. You know, that's no matter how good you basically life is life is in the middle. You know, don't get too high. Don't ever get too low. Yeah. And because, you know, we all happens what happens. We all know what happens with Nixon. You know, yes. Next, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I just think it, it's such a, you know, here's an 11 year old. Oh, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's funny. You put that movie today in 2016, that movie, you could have the same exact movie. And the last line is, you know, things are getting better because Donald Trump just got a lot <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that. Well, I guess it wouldn't be that. It would be that we have the first woman running for president. Right. Or, yeah, the first woman running for presidential candidacy. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was was a good ending. I mean, she's in a dress. She's hanging out with Judy. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And and we also didn't touch, you know, Judy came and saw her when um, she did. When she she found out that Thomas J. passed. I mean, I didn't see any other, anybody else coming to pay respects to Veda, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, I mean that, I just, I, I, that was so cute. And then that, that poem, see, that's what I was saying when she did that ode to ice cream, mm-hmm. you know, since we painted me as a bad guy with this poem, when she did mm-hmm. that ode to ice cream and then she did the second one at the end, that's, that's, that is, that's how I saw Veda. That's what I expected from her. She has that. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, she's so smart. She's so creative. She's so powerful with her words. That's yeah. She's definitely she definitely grew up overnight. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, as a yeah. result of a very tragic accident. That sort of wraps up our movie. Is there anything else that we didn't discuss that you did want to discuss? Do not watch My Girl Two. It's horrible. <laughs> it, uh, I I'm, I can't believe they actually made a, a, a sequel to this movie. It uh, is the worst. So it's awful. I I know the the writer of this one had nothing to do with. My Don't Girl even bother. Two. Don't even. I bother. know that the I know the director did. Um, uh, do I want to know this? Spoil alert! If you haven't watched My Girl Two and you're going to, I guess fast forward here for a second. Does anyone die in My Girl Two? I can't even remember because it's so horrible. <laughs> I, I have blocked it out of my memory because. Then it's the so answer horrible. should have been yes. I died. <laughs> <laughs> I died inside, Victor. That's what happened. I died inside. It's awful. Don't even watch it. Don't watch it. Okay. <laughs>
Well, this has been fun just going outside of the uh, six feet under lens. This was a good idea. Very fun. Yep. I'm looking uh, forward to your second season of Six Feet yes. Under Digging Podcast. Very nice. Yes. Uh, I want to thank you, Natalie. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. So you could find this and all of season one on our website, diggingpodcast.com. And again, I just want to share, I'm doing this bonus podcast as a promotion push for season two. So I ask of you to please share this episode or, you know, just a podcast in general, uh, generate some buzz for me. I'm really trying to reach as many people as possible. So I figure if I could create some bonus podcasts for you that have to do with the show slash funeral industry, you could promote the podcast on my behalf. Uh, so again, thank you for joining. Please check out the website at diggingpodcast.com uh, for this episode, all of season one and all of the upcoming season two. And I also have on there uh, a few guest spots that I hopped on other podcasts. Uh, if I could recommend one, I would say definitely check out the American Slacker podcast episode I guessed it on. Uh, I do a quick run through of what an actual embalming is, like, you know, what goes on. And I told this very true story about how I once found a dead body. And it was recent, about five years ago. And I speak a little bit about my minor little tree air freshener obsession. So uh, if that's not teaser enough for you to go check that out, I don't know what will be. Uh, again, so thank you for listening. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Digging Podcast. Uh, find me on Facebook at Digging Six Feet Under. And again, check out the website, diggingpodcast.com. Uh, I look forward to talking in season two of Six Feet Under with you. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under. And the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.